This is the Best Song Podcast, an oral history of the first 90 years of the Academy Award for Best Original Song. The Best Song Podcast was made possible by the generous support of the following. Paulus Edukas, Terry Freerks, Tina Fry, Jeff Glazer, Mark Hollingsworth, Douglas Meacham, Mark Smith, The Sokolov Family, Colin Stokes, Adrian Quinn Washington, and Ben Watson. Let's settle in now for another year in movie music with host Jeff Cummings. We really felt the effect of the Broadway sensibility into the Academy Award for Best Original Song in the past four episodes. The Oscar-winning songs from the years 1989, 1990, 1991, and 1992 were all written by men who got their big breaks writing songs for stage musicals before spending time writing for the movies. The opportunity was ripe for singer-songwriters to return to the Oscars, and we got some big names in the pop music world earning their first Academy Award nominations that year. For the first time since the mid-1980s, we have four songs written by singer-songwriters who have had success on the Billboard Hot 100 charts. It's a great way to commemorate the first 60 years of the Academy Award. The early years were dominated by men, unfortunately no very few women, who wrote songs for others. And as we entered the 1960s, with the popularity of the Beatles, singers decided to take on songwriting duties themselves. So I'll take this list of 1993's nominated songs alphabetically, beginning with the song, again, from the movie Poetic Justice. The movie had a lot of hype surrounding it for different reasons. First, it was John Singleton's follow-up to Boys in the Hood, the 1991 movie that made him the youngest person to be nominated for the directing Oscar and the first African-American. Second, it was going to be the film debuts of Janet Jackson and Tupac Shakur, two singers who were worlds apart in the music world, looking to make the move into the movies. They decided to not take the Whitney Houston, Diana Ross route and play singers in their movie debuts. They instead followed the leads of Phil Collins and Dolly Parton, playing non-singing roles as a hairdresser and postal worker who fall in love during a road trip. The movie isn't great, particularly because there was a missed opportunity in the screenplay. Janet Jackson's character, Justice, is a poet, and Tupac Shakur's character, Lucky, is an aspiring rapper. But the movie only barely scratches the surface with their talents, and I think a better movie would have been found in trying to bring them together with her poetry and his music. Yes, their characters would have become entertainers, but that was the story I wanted to see about these two not whether they will start to have feelings for each other in the time it takes to drive from Los Angeles to Oakland. Poetic Justice made about $27 million, opening at number one the weekend of July 23, 1993. That could be considered a profit for Columbia Pictures, but not the type of public reception everyone hoped for. Peer recognition was not high either. John Singleton was not recognized for his work on the movie, and the only industry praise put on the movie was for the song again that Janet Jackson wrote with her producing partners, James Harris III and Terry Lewis. After a brief stint as a child actor on Good Times and Different Strokes, Jackson began her singing career in 1982. She began writing her own songs in 1986 for her album Control. That was the beginning of the collaboration with James Harris III and Terry Lewis, two producers who had been looking for success with Prince, but found that Jackson possessed the talent that could showcase their own gifts as songwriters and producers. 
Five of the songs from the Control album scored high on the Billboard chart, and the album was a number one smash. That continued in 1993 with the release of Jackson's fifth album, simply called Janet. The album was in production shortly after Jackson completed filming on Poetic Justice, and she has said the ideas to take her music into a softer, sensual side came from her work on the movie. Working on her previous album, Rhythm Nation 1814, was, quote, a heavy undertaking, Jackson said, also describing her film debut as being hard work. A 180-degree turn was the right thing to do, and when John Singleton felt that the end of Poetic Justice really needed a Janet Jackson song, he asked his co-star about contributing a song to the movie. Jackson and her producers were happy that they didn't have to stray from the work they were doing for the Janet album with Again. Harris, who goes by the professional name Jimmy Jam, said in an interview that he played the melody for Again for Jackson years before Poetic Justice came along. Quote, We thought it was interesting, but put it on the back burner and went about our business. End quote. When the songwriters were looking at the finished film for inspiration, Jimmy Jam said, I started playing some chords, and it came around to the chords I had been messing with years ago. End quote. The song doesn't feel like any of the other songs in Poetic Justice, some of which are violent rap songs written by Tupac Shakur. The melody and instrumentation for Again are very different from what fans had heard from Jackson, even in her previous love songs. There's an organic element to Again, thanks to the piano controlling the melody and the strings carrying the harmony. Part of the song's melody is performed in the underscore three times before we hear the song. It becomes the musical main theme for Justice as she looks in a mirror in one scene, kisses Lucky on the beach in another scene, and works at a fashion show in another scene. The song comes to us at the end when Lucky and Justice put aside their disagreements and decide to be together. Though the song is beautifully written about the rekindling of a past love affair and performed perfectly by Jackson, it doesn't fit the plot of the film. Lucky and Justice were never a couple that had broken up, and because the movie ends as they start to really fall for each other, Justice is not trying to come to grips with her feelings of loving Lucky a long time ago. What is also odd is that we don't get to hear the entire song during the end credits, but you'll get to hear all of it here.
again was a big hit with the public as well. Even those who had no idea was connected with the movie. It was the number one song in the United States in December 1993, five months after Poetic Justice premiered, but perfect timing to stay in the consciousness of Academy voters who listened to the radio. The man who beat John Singleton for the Best Director Academy Award in 1992 was Jonathan Demme. And like Singleton, his follow-up film carried a lot of anticipation. Rather than continue down the horror path as he did with The Silence of the Lambs, Demi went along a different road entirely with the drama Philadelphia. The story follows a lawyer named Andrew Beckett, who sues his former law firm for wrongful termination, believing that he was fired because he had AIDS. Jonathan Demi knew this film would open with various shots of people around Philadelphia and that a song was needed to play over the sequence. Demi approached Bruce Springsteen during his world tour in early 1993 to ask for an original song. Springsteen promised a song by fall 1993 when the tour was finished, and he obliged, submitting a song that Springsteen thought was just okay, but had Demi in tears. That song is Streets of Philadelphia, an homage to the strength of community in Philadelphia, sung from the point of view of a dying man who is reaching out to someone in the city of brotherly love to offer companionship before he dies. The song fits perfectly into the film and is a great accompaniment to all the shots of people from all walks of life around the city. The hypnotic drum machine that drives the song forward was performed by Springsteen.
my clothes don't fit me no more I want a thousand miles just to slip this scheme Night is falling, I'm blind awake I can feel myself fading away So receive me, brother, with you Faithless kiss, or will we leave each other alone like this on the streets of Philadelphia? The drum machine comes back about 25 minutes later, after Andrew has been fired and Denzel Washington's rival lawyer refuses to take his case. Andrew stands outside the office with the soft wails of Bruce Springsteen expressing his anguish. Though the concept of producing a music video for movie songs hadn't been as popular in the early 1990s as they were in the early days of MTV, Bruce Springsteen had remained committed to making high-quality music videos, and that was true for Streets of Philadelphia. Instead of using the footage from the movie that played under his song, Springsteen filmed himself walking through Philadelphia while singing the song. And he does it live, something that was unheard of, but works well for the emotion of the song. The music video helped the song's popularity, though it couldn't find its way to number one. Perhaps because of the subject matter surrounding it, Streets of Philadelphia only got to number nine on the Billboard Hot 100, which tracks record sales and radio airplay. Philadelphia, the movie, made history with two original songs nominated for the Academy Award, the 10th film to do so. As Streets of Philadelphia opened the movie, the title song closes out the emotional story. The news of Andrew's death comes to Washington's character late at night, which cuts to a memorial gathering for Andrew some time later. This entire scene is covered by the song Philadelphia, written by Neil Young. Just as Springsteen's Streets of Philadelphia asks for companionship in a man's dying days, Neil Young's song is performed from the perspective of a man in his last moments, asking for his native city to not, quote, turn your back on me, 
I don't want to be alone, end quote. The last line is fitting for Andrew's passing into heaven. Sometimes I think that I know what love's all about, and when I see the light, I know I'll be all right. Neil Young, best known for folk songs that relied on the guitar, uses only synthesizers and a piano for this very quiet song.
Neil Young had contributed music for the movies on two previous occasions. First was the 1972 semi-autobiographical film Journey Through the Past, and then the 1980 comedy Where the Buffalo Roam. His work for Philadelphia was his first foray into writing an original song for the movies, and it resulted in an Academy Award nomination and a little more mainstream recognition thanks to the large success of the soundtrack album. James Ingram was not new to the movie industry, having recorded two Oscar-nominated songs in the 1980s. The first was the mildly successful How Do You Keep the Music Playing, a duet with Patty Austin. The second was the highly rated duet with Linda Ronstadt called Somewhere Out There back in 1986 for the movie An American Tale. Since then, he had performed a couple more movie songs of questionable taste with Melissa Manchester. Obviously, James Ingram loves singing duets. And when the assignment came in 1993 to record a love song for the sequel to the live-action comedy Beethoven, James Ingram knew that Dolly Parton was the best choice. He asked Carol Bayer Sager and Cliff Magnus to collaborate on The Day I Fall in Love, a down-the-middle love song that pertains to the new love that the title dog Beethoven finds with St. Bernard Missy in the movie Beethoven's Second. It's interesting that the sequel gets an original song when the 1992 original only used Chuck Berry's rollover Beethoven as the theme song. In Beethoven's second, we first hear The Day I Fall in Love about 20 minutes into the movie. We think the song initially applies to Rice and Taylor, two human teenagers who kiss one night, because the song begins as they kiss. But the bulk of the song comes during the first date between Beethoven and Missy at the drive through cinema. The line, Roll Over Beethoven, is taken from that Chuck Berry song, and it's interesting how the songwriters play with that line.
There's a nice reprise around the halfway point of the movie when Beethoven looks at the moon and, we would assume, thinks about Missy. Also looking at the moon is Missy, who we find out is staying at a vacation house not too far from where Beethoven and his family are staying. Carol Bayer Sager and James Ingram had started working together in 1993, starting with the song Colors of Love, then segueing into The Day I Fall in Love immediately after. I'm not sure how Cliff Magnus came into their inner circle, but he desperately needed this song after years of writing unpopular songs in the late 1980s. For Carol Bayer Sager, this was her fourth Academy Award nomination, and first since winning the Oscar for 1981's Arthur's Theme. She kept busy, but hadn't really created anything as popular through the 1980s. The final Oscar nominee of 1993 was the only one of the five to not be written by a famous singer, but it was featured in one of the biggest movies of the year. Mark Shaman was the composer of the underscore for Sleepless in Seattle, which featured a lot of classic songs, including As Time Goes By and the Oscar-nominated A Kiss to Build a Dream On. For a dialogue-free scene featuring Meg Ryan's character in Seattle searching for Tom Hanks' character, Shaman realized that music only was not going to work. A little melody he wrote when Meg Ryan gets off the plane in Seattle turned into the song A Wink and a Smile which plays when she notices Hanks and his son playing on the beach. It's a very light song, complete with light notes on the piano, accompanied by plucked bass strings and a horn section. I remember the days of just keeping time Of hanging around in sleepy towns forever Back roads empty for miles Well, you can't have a dream and cut it to fit But when I saw you, I knew we'd go together Like a wink and a smile Leave your old jalopy by the railroad track. We'll get a hip, double dip, dip toppy to seat Pontiac. So you can rever up, don't go slow. It's only green lights and all rides. Let's go together. With a wink and a smile Give me a wink and a smile Belong. 
Just the sound of your voice, the light in your eyes. We're so far away from yesterday together. With a wink and a smile, we go together like a wink and a smile. Every time I see this scene, I think the song applies to Tom Hanks and his son, played by Ross Malinger. But it is a song that also works for Ryan and Hanks. Meg Ryan's Annie is feeling just as the song suggests, that she and Hanks's Sam can get into a two-seat Pontiac and go on a drive together. After seeing Sam, she truly believes that the two of them go together like a wink and a smile. Shaman's lyricist on A Wink and a Smile is Ramsey McLean, who wrote songs for two albums by Harry Connick Jr. in 1990 and 1991. Given that Connick made a hit out of It Had to Be You for When Harry Met Sally, also a Nora Ephron movie, she would want Harry Connick Jr. back for Sleepless in Seattle. McLean drew the big stick with Connick being hired, getting the job of writing lyrics for this song that would give him his first Oscar nomination. A Wink and a Smile didn't get any radio play, oddly enough, as an official release from the soundtrack album. That went to the Celine Dion, Clive Griffin cover of the 1952 song, When I Fall in Love. The song, which was written by Oscar winner Victor Young and Oscar nominee Edward Heyman, only went to number 23 for Dion and Griffin. The Disney studio did release an animated movie in 1993, but it wasn't made in-house. The movie was called The Nightmare Before Christmas, a stop-motion comedy from the mind of Tim Burton. Burton was a hot director thanks to two Batman movies and Beetlejuice, and The Nightmare Before Christmas came from an idea he had when he worked as a Disney animator in the early 1980s. The story revolves around a creature named Jack Skellington, who rules over Halloween Town. He falls into Christmas Town and is enchanted by the surroundings. The story became a musical when Burden's regular composer, Danny Elfman, got involved, and he wrote 10 songs for the movie. None of them, none of them, got any awards recognition though Elfman got a catch-all Golden Globe nomination for Best Score. The highlight of the song score might be What's This, the song that Jack sings when he arrives in Christmastown. Danny Elfman, who had become famous as the lead singer for Oingo Boingo in the 1980s, provides the singing voice of Jack Skellington. What's this? What's this? There's color everywhere. What's this? There's white things in the air. What's this? I can't believe my eyes. I must be dreaming. Wake up, Jack. This isn't fair. What's this? What's this? What's this? There's something very wrong. What's this? There's people singing songs. What's this? The streets are lined with little creatures laughing. Everybody seems so happy. Have I possibly gone daffy? What is this? What's this? Children throwing snowballs instead of throwing heads. They're busy building toys and absolutely no one's dead. There's frost in every window. Oh, I can't believe my eyes. And in my bones I feel the warmth that's coming from inside. 
Oh look, what's this? The hanging mistletoe. They kiss? Why that looks so unique. Inspired! The gathering around here is story roasting chestnuts on a fire. What's this? What's this? In here, they've got a little tree. How queer! And who would ever think? And why? They're covering it with tiny little things. They've got electric lights on strings, and there's a smile in everyone. So now correct me if I'm wrong. This looks like fun, this looks like fun. Oh, could it be I got my wish? What's this? Oh my, what now? The children are asleep. But look, there's nothing underneath. No ghouls, no witches here to scream and scare them or ensnare them. Only little cozy things secure inside their dreamland. <sighs> One of the songwriters who did earn a Golden Globe nomination for songwriting was Bono, the lead singer of the band U2. He tried to make his way into the original song Oscar category twice in 1993 starting with the song Stay for the German movie Far Away So Close. The story of the creation of the song seems to indicate that U2 did not write the song for the movie, writing it first for their 1991 album Octung Baby, then revisiting it for the 1993 album Zuropa. When director Wim Wenders requested a song for Far Away So Close, the band made some changes to their song in order to fit the theme of angels falling to earth. They even put the title of the movie into one of the verses and ended the song mentioning angels who fall to earth, as they do in the movie. As I've mentioned before, the Academy wasn't making the list of eligible songs available to the public at this time, so it's not clear if Stay fit the Academy's criteria of an original song. If it did make it onto the list of eligible songs, it's likely that the music branch felt confused about an Irish band writing an English-language song for a German film. The Hollywood Foreign Press Association didn't mind the discrepancy and nominated U2 for a Golden Globe Award for Stay. The song turned out to be one of U2's least popular singles, and it barely made a dent on the Billboard charts when it was released in fall 1993. The same goes for the Golden Globe-nominated song You Made Me the Thief of Your Heart, a song that Bono wrote with Gavin Friday and Maurice Caesar for the movie In the Name of the Father. Sinead O'Connor performed the song in the end credits, and music critics compared it favorably to her biggest hit, Nothing Compares to You. The performance is superb, but it's hard to figure out how this rock love ballad fits with the movie.
Either Stay or You Made Me the Thief of Your Heart made the Oscar list instead of A Wink and a Smile. There would have been five nominees written by major music stars, the first time that would have happened in Oscar history. But the Golden Globe ceremony on January 22, 1994 was the closest we could get to that. Neil Young was left off the list in favor of both Bono songs, as was A Wink and a Smile. Once again, a song's peak spot on the Billboard charts seemed to not matter much in the 1990s, with the number one song again getting beaten out for the Golden Globe by the message song, Streets of Philadelphia. Two years after creating the smash hit Everything I Do, I Do It For You, Brian Adams, Mutt Lang, and Michael Kamen reunited for a love song to play over the end credits of the adaptation of the Alexander Dumas novel, The Three Musketeers. This song is called All For Love, which is based on the popular Musketeers motto, All for one, one for all. The song was written in the same way that Everything I Do was written. Michael Kamen plucked out a melody from his score, then Lang and Adams wrote a song around it. The original plan was to have Brian Adams sing it alone. Then the idea came about to have it be a trio of singers, like the Three Musketeers. Sting signed on right away. Then Rod Stewart took time off his world tour to record his vocal. The result was a number one song on the Billboard Hot 100 in January 1994. Decades earlier, having a movie song reach number one in January was a surefire way to get the Academy's music branch to remember the song during nomination voting time. And perhaps they remembered it, but they just didn't like All for Love. The song received zero nominations from critics or the Academy. Probably because it feels like a retread of everything I do. Love you give. I'll be a man of good faith. In love you live. I'll make a stand I won't break. I'll be the rock you can build on. Be there when you rose to heaven to hold. When there's love inside. I swear I'll always be strong 
After the Golden Globe win, all the speculation that Bruce Springsteen would ride a wave of love all the way to the Oscars was a foregone conclusion. So the only discussion surrounding the original song nominees for the March 22, 1994 Oscar ceremony was whether or not all five famous singers would appear to perform. Four of the five original performers would sing on the Oscar show, not a surprise since they were also nominated for the songs they sang. Harry Connick Jr. didn't get the job of singing A Wink and a Smile at the Oscars. That went instead to Keith Carradine, who hadn't been at the Oscars since winning the original song Oscar in 1976. While Carradine sang and co-writer Mark Shaman played piano, everyone watching on TV saw film images of movie stars smiling and winking, just to drive home the point that smiling and winking is cool. You got to go back to the Oscar ceremony 18 years later to sing a week in a wink and a smile for Sleepless in Seattle. So yeah. how 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 did it feel to be back at the Oscar show in 1994? Uh, it was it was great. It was fun. And and that time I actually got to have a little jazz combo play with me. So that was uh, uh, there was a little less pressure on that. It was also not my own song. You know, it was uh, <clears throat> and uh, Harry Connick had actually done the recording for the movie, but he was unavailable to perform on the Oscars. So Gil- Gilbert Case. My old friend, uh, with whom I had worked, uh, he was he was directing, producing, and uh, he asked me. He invited me to come down and do the song. Um, <clears throat> so that was fun. I was actually working on a picture up in uh, Vancouver at the time, and uh, I was invited to do that. So I had to put together the guitar part for it. I found a jazz player up there in Vancouver who showed me the jazz chords that would fit for that song, you know. And I spent a lot of time working on it and and uh, getting it down to where I could perform it on that stage in front of that audience, which is fairly high pressure. <laughs> but like you said, you had, to, you had to people on stage. And I think uh, Whoopi Goldberg was hosting that year. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, it's an interesting thing to be tasked with doing is to stand on that stage, particularly stand on that stage and give a performance in front of that audience. James Ingram and Dolly Parton had video images accompany them while they sang The Day I Fall in Love, featuring some of the most famous dogs in the movies. But the producers thought that wasn't enough to put a spark into the song, bringing out the dogs who played Beethoven and Missy in the movie on stage. Whoopi Goldberg had the best follow-up line to the performance, saying, And they call me a bitch. Janet Jackson, though, was the first performer of the night singing again with Jimmy Jam playing piano on stage. About a dozen candles surrounded her, probably making the L.A. Fire Department very nervous. 
The two men who wrote the songs for Philadelphia had very subdued presentations, a very good idea given the subject matter. Neil Young was on stage with only a piano and two backup singers. Bruce Springsteen had a few musicians on stage with them to help with Streets of Philadelphia, and the performance was flawless. Bruce Springsteen's coronation at the Oscars was done by fellow New Jerseyite Whitney Houston, who was the big star of the music world after winning a whole bunch of Grammys a couple of months earlier for I Will Always Love You. She didn't get to attend the Oscars when the songs from The Bodyguard were nominated because she had just given birth to her daughter, so producer Gil Cates made up for it by inviting her in 1994. She made a crack about offering to sing all five of the nominated songs again, which the audience seemed to want, but she just read the list of nominated songs before announcing that Bruce Springsteen was the newest Oscar-winning songwriter. For the first time in the first 60 years of the Academy Award for Best Original Song, the winning songwriter got a standing ovation. Stevie Wonder, Lionel Richie, Isaac Hayes, none of them got standing ovations. Springsteen almost gave the same speech that he gave at the Golden Globes, asking the audience to be accepting of others, just as the movie Philadelphia asked of its audience. With the win, Springsteen became the 13th person to win the Oscar for writing a song solo. And it's the first message song to win the award. This was the first time Bruce Springsteen wrote for the movies, but it won't be his last. He'll be invited back to the Oscars in a few years, as will Mark Shaman. James Ingram and Carol Bayer Sager will not wait a few years, and we'll hear the next song that they co-wrote on the next episode of the Best Song Podcast. Will the next Oscar go to another singer-songwriter, or will Broadway come roaring back to the Academy Awards? The answer to that question is yes, on both counts. I'll explain more in the next episode, and I can't wait to do it, because Tim Rice will be back to talk with us about The Lion King. Thanks so much for singing along with me on the Best Song Podcast. Let's do it again next time. The Best Song Podcast is not authorized or endorsed by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. The show's creator, writer, producer, and editor is Jeff Cummings. All music clips are permitted for use under the Education Clause of the Fair Use Doctrine in United States law.